We were in the Sermon on the Mount, and this is part 24 if you're keeping track. But the last time uh, we, uh, we talked about the Sermon on the Mount, we looked at the uh, laying up treasures in heaven. And laying, when we lay up treasures in heaven, that's permanent. When we lay up treasures on earth, it's temporary. Because everything you see is temporary. Even this Bible basically is temporary. God's word is infallible forever, but the written word, you know, as far as you see it, you know, this, this Bible, somebody could get this thrown in the fire and it'd burn up. It's temporary. This podium is temporary. These chairs are temporary. So everything we see is temporary, and it seems like we spend more time on the stuff that we can see and not on the things we don't see. But as believers, it helps us to uh, look at the unseen world in a different way. Because we are not only a person that we can see, I can see every one of you here today, but also there's a person inside of you that I can't see. That part is going to be permanent. That's forever. And then one day we're going to get a new body. I don't know what that new body is going to look like. I don't really care. All I know is that it's going to be perfect. Whatever perfect is, not in my eyes or your eyes, but in God's eyes. And I, don't, I won't matter, so it won't matter to me. Or you at that point in time. So... We need to understand that everything we see is temporary, and we want, we want to work on the permanent, right? And that's what we looked at a few weeks ago. But Jesus goes from there to the subject I want to look at this morning, from uh, laying up treasures in heaven to the perspective required to, uh, to store up those treasures. That's what we want to do. He moves. Now remember, the Sermon on the Mount wasn't a little bit here, a little bit there. It was one solid thing that he taught. They were there for a couple of few days, and he, he ended up having to feed the 5,000 was during the Sermon on the Mount because they stayed there. I mean, can you imagine? Not in today in America. No one would stay that long to hear a sermon. It was there all day long. We're sitting there looking at, you know, that pastor, it's 11 o'clock or it's noon, and, you know, they better hurry up and get out of here because I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. If they're not done in 10 minutes, I'm out of here. <laughs> but they sat there on a hillside, no comfy chair to sit on, they just sat there for hours and days. I don't know whether they slept there or what they did, but they were there all the time, all those hours. And we're sitting there, like I said, this is part 24, that we're on 24 hours, basically, of teaching, and we're only in chapter 6. we got one more chapter to go. So we need to understand that it was a long period of time that they were there, and it was a transgression, or transgression, uh, well, what's the word I'm looking for? Progression from one thing, one subject to the next. And they were all tied in together. So this message today is tied into what? Laying up your treasures in heaven. And he carries it on from there. Matthew 6, 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now that word for healthy there is haplusi or something like that. And it means healthy, undivided, generous, or single-minded. And it's opposite of double-minded. And we're going to look at that next time. Maybe next time. Unless I do something different. But um, we need to understand that double-mindedness, single-mindedness that we're uh, looking at. And there's only this, this word here in, in the Bible. is only found in two places. Here and in Luke. And in Luke it's talking about the same subject, the Sermon on the Mount. So in the whole Bible, this is the only place that these words are used. So it's kind of hard for them to really interpret it in a, in a way that we can really grasp the meaning. That's why it means 
undivided, generous, single-minded. Single-minded, uh, a focus is what we need to do. Now, the eye represents a single focus and is the lamp to the body. Now, I'm not talking about a literal light to the body. It's not a literal thing. But the light, we need light as far as uh, to, in, for us to see, to be able to know where we're going. It's hard not to be able to do something if you can't see. Have you ever come home in the dark, especially out where we live? There's no street lights. There's no nothing out there. So if it's dark, it's dark, and you can't see. <laughs> We've got up solar lights up the driveway so we can see our driveway to hit it because it's, when it's pitch black, you can't see nothing. But you come in the house, and you flip on the switch, and nothing happens. Have you ever done that? And you're sitting there, oh, man, where's the next switch? So you're sitting there trying to go through trying to the house, trying to find something, tripping over everything you can trip over to get the light, right? Because we need light in order to see. I mean, if you're blind, of course, you, uh, your body adjusts and your other senses kind of take over. But basically for us, we need our eyes to see. We need light to see because it doesn't matter if you can see if you're in blackness. Have you ever been to Tipinogos Cave? I know, probably maybe not. You get in there, and they turn on the lights, and you're like this, and you can't even see your hand because it's black and darkness. And to me, <laughs> I don't like being in the darkness. We got those little nightlight bug chaser things all over our house. And night, you know, you can see pretty well, you know, so it's all right. But we need light to see. Now, Jesus in this verse is comparing heart sight to eyesight, and it's, it's being the same thing. There's a heart sight, there's a spiritual sight that we need to have, and there's a physical sight we need to have. Now, remember in Matthew 6, 21, he says, For where our treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's what we talked about last time. Wherever our treasure is, that's where our heart's going to be. We lay up treasures in heaven, our heart's going to be in heaven. Our main focus is going to be in heaven. But if all we have is stuff here and we're storing up stuff here, that's where our focus is going to be. It's going to be here. And, you, man, I'll tell you, it's terrible because if something happens, if you're following the stock market or something, man, you're watching it all the time. And if something happens to that, man, you about had a hemorrhage because you lost your stock went down because that's where your focus is. But God wants us to have a different kind of focus. We need to focus on what we're doing here, of course, but God's focus is more important is to focus on the things that he wants us to do. He wants us to have spiritual eyes. We were talking a little bit about like that in Sunday school. There's a Logos word and there's a Rhema word. The Logos word is the written word of God. You read it, this is the written word of God. But the Rhema word of God is when we take the written word of God and we read it. And all of a sudden, it just comes alive to us. We start grasping it. It's a revelation of God. Revelation of something that he's showing us. And it's only to us. We, we talked a little bit about it, and I'll do this. Sometimes I'll read something, and I'll get excited about it. I'll go sit there and try to tell Randy about it, and he doesn't get it. I thought, what's the matter with you? Can't you get this? <laughs> it's the rainbow word. God showed it to me, and it was for me. And sometimes the things that God shows us is hard to explain, isn't it? But there's the difference because it's those, those spiritual eyes that he wants us to see things. It's that rhema word that's in there. But we're never going to get the revelation or the rhema word of God if we don't read the logos. They're tied together. So we need both, not just one or the other. Now, where we fix our eyes affects our whole body. Where we look is where we're going to go. If, you, if I'm going that direction, I'm surely not going to be looking here and trying to walk backwards. I'd fall off the stairs. I mean, it might be funny, it might be a hoot for some of you, it wouldn't be pleasant for me. <laughs> but 
because we have to look where we want to go. Well, the same thing applies to our spiritual eyesight. We've got to look, where God, look with our spiritual eyes where God wants us to go. And sometimes where we want to go in our physical eyes and our spiritual eyes is the same direction. I said, sometimes we think, oh, man, God's just going to lead me someplace where I don't want to go. And I hate it. That's why I'm not giving my life to God. Well, amazingly, there's a lot of times God lets you, lead you right where you want to go with your physical eyes and your spiritual eyes. And that's really cool. But if we don't focus our eyes on him, we'll never have those two things in alignment. Because what's amazing is God changes our focus of our human eyes so our spiritual eyes, they line up. And it's really amazing when God does that for us. If we're focused on money, we'll find ways to invest it and spend it. If we're focused on being an athlete, we will train, we work everything out. Man, I'll tell you, we'll, be, we'll live, breathe, and eat our sport. And I know that we like football around here, but I am not into that totally whatever. I mean, it's great, we enjoy it and all that, but that isn't where I want to have my focus. But if we're focused on being a witness, we will read God's word, we will pray, we will study. Because whatever we're focused on, that's what we're going to do. And God wants our focus to be where it needs to be. Charles Paul Kahn writes about a man who lived in Atlanta, Atlanta years ago. He noticed a restaurant in the Yellow Pages called the Church of the God Grill. The name made him curious, so he called. A man answered with a hello, Church of God Grill. He asked why his restaurant had such an unusual name. And he said, we had a little mission down here, and we started selling chicken dinners after church on Sunday to help pay the bills. The people liked the chicken and became such a good business that we cut back on church services. After a while, we just closed the church altogether and kept on serving chicken dinners. We kept the name we started with, the Church of God Grill. That happens over and over and over again in people's lives. We're focused on one thing. We're focused on trying to do what God wants us to do, and yet we allow things to change. And if we're not careful, we'll be focused on the wrong thing, and pretty soon we'll just be a Church of God Grill. Believer. Don't do anything, but I heard that's what I'm called, so that's what I'm called. God doesn't want people just called something. He wants us to be something. Yeah. And he's the only one that can change us and mold us into what he wants us to be. Amen. And I want to be a believer that's serving God. Amen. I want somebody that's do I want to be somebody that's devoted to God. Now, I don't want to be so devoted to God and or in my own mind, so I'm so heavenly minded I'm no earthly good. Because we've met people like that, haven't we? I've met a lot of people that are so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. But then we have the flip side that people are so earthly minded they're no heavenly good. There's a boundary or there's a, a medium in between those two things. That's where God wants us to be. Because nobody, if we're going to be witnesses and people are looking in our lives, nobody wants to follow you if all your eyes, your hair, your head and your heart's way up here in the skies and I can't wait to go to heaven one day I'm going to heaven. I don't care if anything's going down here. I'm just going to go to heaven. Who cares? God wants us to care about the things in this earth. Yeah. That's where we need to focus, because every person we meet needs to be saved. Sometimes we forget that. Every person in this congregation today needs to be saved if you haven't been. If you don't know God as your personal Savior, you're not going to get to heaven until you do. Yeah. It's a one-way one -way ticket, period. Doesn't matter how many good things you do. I don't care if you come out here on work day. I don't care if you come here and clean the church. I don't care what you do. If you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, you're not going to heaven. That's the initial. That's when you get your ticket. 
You get the ticket through Christ. He gives them out. They're free, but you have to have a ticket. So we need to make sure that we have our focus on what is what is he would have us to be focused on. Uh, Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. We read these, some of these verses, and this is a good verse. There's a lot of great verses in the Bible. I love them, and this is one of those. Yeah, whatever is good, whatever is right, let's pray. Let's think about these things. But we miss the message. We live in a world where everything is so negative. You turn on the news. Do you get positive stuff on the news? No, there's isn't news if it's positive. It's only news if it's negative. And that's all we do. We don't watch, well, we don't watch the national news per se. I watch Fox News. If I'm going to watch something, it's, it's Fox News because it's a little, little closer to reality, in my opinion. But uh, if we're not focused on all the negative stuff, we can't function because we're just putting darkness into our lives. And I know there's a lot of bad things that's going on, and it looks like the devil's winning, but he's not. Amen. I mean, he may look like he's winning in here in America, but in the other parts of the world, he's not. Amen. There's a big congregation in China and all these, these countries that are suffering persecution. And sometimes the best thing that could happen to America is persecution so the church would grow. But God blesses America. Why? Why are we so blessed? Because we were blessed to be a blessing to the world. Not with all the money we give them, which I think is a joke, but because we were the ones that were sending missionaries out to the world. We were the ones that were doing that. We were uh, sending the gospel to the world. That's why we're blessed. Everything else is, is, what do you call it, addition to that. But we've gotten away from that, and now we're focused on just sending the money, trying to buy friends. I'm not for doing that. Forget it. Cut them all off. And I don't know why. how come we're borrowing money from China and then we have to give them aid? They're giving us money so we can turn around and pay it to them for aid. Now, to me, what's the matter with that? What's the matter is the world is on the focus. It's all messed up. And when our focus is messed up, nothing makes sense. And to the world, they think it makes sense. As a believer, and I look at this stuff, and I say, man, that's so ridiculous to me. It's just frustrating to me that all this stuff's going on. I don't know about you, but it is to me. And, but I know that ultimately God's in charge. I mean, we pray for all this stuff, and if you're not praying for the world, and if you're not praying for this area, you need to start. Because God moves in prayer. We have to pray stuff in. Say, God could do it if he wants. Yeah, he can. But he chose a certain way to do things. And that's through prayer and our willingness to go and to do. You know, I know that when we first came here, we used to pray, 100 by the end of the year, 100 by the end of the year. And, you know, finally God revealed to Randy, he said, what are you going to do with them if they come? What would happen, of course, in our old facilities, of course, the, you know, this is a little, little uh, larger now, but at that time, what would we have done? I'd like to have had the problem, but he says, you've got to prepare. And that's the problem we don't have. We just want this stuff, but we don't want to prepare for it. See, that building... Even though it doesn't look like we need that building, God wants it there. How do I know that? Well, if there's any doubts, I can tell you because all the stuff that's going on. The devil doesn't want it there. And I want to do everything I can to make the devil unhappy. He's messed with me so much, I want to get back at him. (laughs) So, but one day we're going to need that. 
Whether it's in my lifetime, I don't know. But that is going to be used one day. And it could happen overnight. I don't know whether what this <coughs> congregation looked like after 9-11, but I know the churches we went to, they were packed because people all of a sudden, oh, man, I need God now. Oh, I need God. And that's all it takes is something like that to happen. And I'm get, it's probably going to happen again. The way that we're run, our leadership is running and closing their eyes to, to things that we want. I said, Matt, can't they see that? Can't they see what a problem this is? No, they can't. The devil's leading them. Their eyes are focused on the things that they shouldn't be focused on. Matthew 6.22. This is out of the uh, New Living Translation. I kind of like it because it says, A pure heart lets sunshine into your soul. That's kind of cool. I like that. Put lets sunshine into your soul. When we have our life opened up to God, he comes in and it just puts sunshine into our soul. That's why when people become a Christian, they kind of walk with a little thing in their step, you know, and, and they just feel better. You know, the world, even though it's falling apart, you can see the beauty in life. That's because of God in our heart. He puts sunshine in our soul. Next slide. If light is revealed truth and purity, then life and... Read right, right. If light is revealed truth and purity, then a person fixed on God will be characterized by understanding of revealed truth and uncompromising pure behavior. That's so true. Our lives will change when true life lives within us. We're going to be characterized by understanding of revealed truth. Those who want more truth from God, they get it because they, they look for it. They seek it. They focus on, on receiving stuff from God. And you want to know more? That's how you get it. You read, you study, you pray. Come to church, be faithful. That's how you get more, more stuff into your heart, is by doing those things. Uh, Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be heaven, be hidden. The, the light for the soul allows us to be the light of the world. When Christ dwells within our heart, there's a light within us. We may not be able to know it, but... I know uh, it's real because I've had people I've never met before t tell me, you're a Christian, aren't you? Yeah, how'd you know? She says, well, there's just something about you. There's just something about it. And, all, and a Christian understands that she was a Christian, so she, she could sense that. But there's something about believers that aren't, that doesn't, the world doesn't have. And there's just something about it. They don't know what it is, but hopefully they want to be around you. Say, oh, people don't want to be around religious people. No, not the kind to beat them over the head with the Bible, but they want to be around true believers. See, Jesus was very popular. The sinners flocked to him. Why? He, he died. He was going to die to save them. He died. He came to save us. And they loved to be around him because he accepted them. But he didn't accept them so they could stay the way they are. He accepted them so they could be changed, so their life could be changed. But if we do the, uh, live our lives the way we, God wants us to, we will be a light, and people will be drawn to us. Especially as the world gets darker and darker, the light within the believers is going to be stronger and stronger, and people will be drawn to us because they want light. People don't like darkness. They may not know that that's what it is, but they don't like it, and they will be drawn to, to the light. Physical vision allows us to see what we're doing and where we're going. When spiritual vision is correctly adjusted, our life is filled with heavenly purpose and drive. That's God's plan. 
Next slide. When everything within us is stripped away, we are left with a single treasure of Christ in his kingdom. Then we have the proper perspective on things and our eyes are healthy or our vision is healthy. When everything else in our life is stripped away, now whether that be physically stripped away or just within your willingness to give it to God. Because whatever it is that's going on in your life, you're not willing to give up for God, that's going to keep you out of heaven. Because that's more important to you than, than serving God. That's more important to you than going to heaven. So we need to have everything in our life given to God and say, God, take everything away, whatever it is. I want Jesus. There's a song, take away my earthly gain, take my worldly fame, but give me Jesus. That's what our prayer of the heart needs to be. Give me Jesus, because that's what I want, because that's the only thing that's important. Uh, Matthew 6, 23. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If there, then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? If our vision becomes clouded by the false gods of materialism and all the other kind of things that are going on in the world, we lose all sense of values. You want to know what's happened to the world? Darkness. And they've lost their sense of values because they've thrown God out of everything. They've lost their vision of God. Because God had made us a free country. God set it up. God was, uh, was right there right, helping write our Constitution. All these things that went on, it was God that did it. And now we've turned our back on him, and now we're walking in darkness. And we have no values. That's why we need the light back in. When we let the light in, open up the heart, and let, you let, let the sunshine in, which is Christ, into the world and into our lives, things will change. Amen? Uh, let's see, next slide. As blindness leads to darkness, so selfish ambition, greed, laying up treasures on earth, plunges us into moral darkness. It can make us intolerant, inhuman, and ruthless. The more darkness people have in, the life, in their lives, the worse they are. You don't want to be around somebody, and you think, man, I'll do anything, because then rather go there. Check their darkness. Because we, as light bearers, don't like darkness. And they don't like us, because usually we'll go to them, but they don't want to be around us, because have you ever had a, a, done a magnet thing and have two magnets, because they're the positive, and a negative side of a magnet? and you try to put the opposite sides together, they don't, won't work, they repel, or whatever, the, whatever they are, same side, whatever it is, they repel. And that's what happens with light and darkness. We have light within us, and the people that are walking in darkness, they don't like us. They want to destroy God. They want God out of everything, out of Christmas, out of every holiday there is. Get God out of here. We don't want it. They're walking in darkness, and they don't like the light. But we need to be there. We need to talk about the lightness. Light, no matter what, we have to do that. Uh, let's see, where's that? Now, greed deprives life of its ultimate significance. You say, well, we're not greedy. I'm not greedy. Well, I think most, a lot of us will have to admit sometimes we're a little greedy, whether we admit it or not. Uh, next slide. Greed means wanting something we see so bad it controls us, and we even justify our greed. Greed is a desire to have more and more material comfort. Greed wants it all. And this time of year, if you have little kids, you're going to find this in, in full view. If it's on TV, they want it. They want one of each. Mom, I'm not greedy. I just want one of each. <laughs> What's the matter with that? See? 
That's the problem. We don't think we are, and then we see something we want, and we then start thinking about that. Well, man, I really want this. <laughs> well, it starts, it starts that way, and we have to recognize it and use it. I, I'm not saying we can't have stuff, because we can. But when not letting the stuff control us and change who we are, that's what happens. That's where most people end up, their downfall is with that. Ecclesiastes 1.8 in the New Living Translation. Everything is worrisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. Greed isn't just about having, having stuff, it's holding it. It's holding it so tight. You know, we have the, the movie about Scrooge that's out, and they always show it at Christmas time. And they had a, Ron, who was here, he does a, a play called uh, The Gospel According to Scrooge. And it's kind of similar to that uh, play with a gospel slant on it. And so it turns out right, because he's so greedy, he wants the money, he wants to count it, and he's just a miser with everything. But then Christ comes into his life and changes and changes his focus. But it's greed. Greed was his downfall. And how much is enough? One more dollar, one more penny, whatever it is. Anybody that's pursuing money and that kind of stuff, there's never enough. And it was Solomon who wrote this, wrote Ecclesiastes. Solomon was one of the greatest kings of of, uh, Israel. Full of wisdom, wrote the Proverbs, wrote all kinds of these things that he had. He was the smartest man at that time. Smarter than a lot of men we have today. And he had anything he wanted. Had one of each, what, thousands of wives and concubines or whatever. I don't know how you keep track. I can remember their names. You know, can you, can you imagine a thousand women? The guys are going, no, I don't think so. I have a hard time with a one. <laughs> you know, but it got him in trouble, didn't it? Because God didn't tell him to have all that. He told him to have one wife. But he, he care. I'm king. I can do whatever I want. What was his downfall? And he says, I've had everything, but having it isn't enough. You can be dissatisfied having it all. And if you don't know that, say, well, I'd like to try. <laughs> I'd like to try. I keep telling you, you have as much money as God can trust you with. And you think about that statement, and that's true. As soon as we start seeing the money that we do have as God's stuff and not our own, and we start saying, God, hey, what do you want me to do with it? I'll do whatever you want. Then you're going to find out that God's going to pour more into us. He can bless us more. But he, I don't want God to give me stuff that's going to destroy me, do you? I don't want a million dollars if it will destroy me. I keep telling him it wouldn't, but it won't destroy me. Honest, God. <laughs> but uh, we need to look at things from in a different perspective because that is the, the biggest downfall, I think, that we have and, uh, in, in, the day, in the day and ages that we live in. Uh, let's see. Ecclesiastes. Uh, Matthew 6.23. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. When our eyes are focused on material concerns, we are blind to spiritual concerns. That's why it's so dangerous. When we start getting over here, and that's what the devil wants us to do. He wants us to get over here and think about the stuff that we want. And we get so focused on there that we don't care what the church wants. Or we don't care what, what God wants us to do because we're so focused over here. Because we can't look in two places. We can't be focused on two things at the same time. I went to the ophthalmologist or whatever you call him and, uh, for my eyes, and he said that I'm having trouble now focusing my, my eyes. From when I look back there and I look trying to look here to read, my eyes don't want to focus. They just cannot do it. 
And I uh, thought, man, that's terrible. Now I have to go start wearing glasses. I hate that. <laughs> but uh, that's what happens with us in our lives, too. When we're so focused on the physical stuff in this world, the spiritual things in our life that God wants to show us, we can't see because we cannot focus on two things. We have to, can only focus on one thing at a time. I know that uh, kids think their mothers have eyes in the back of their head, and we do. Mine's back here somewhere. But generally, we don't. We have to focus on one thing. That's all we can do is focus on one thing at a time. And God wants it to be on him. And when we focus on God and have it there, then he can make things, everything fall into place. If you don't have enough time in your life, give time to God. He will make the time work out to where you have more time than you ever had. If you don't have enough money, give some to God. Do what God said to do with it, and you will have more money. When, I'm, when we're faithful to God, he's faithful to us. When we start hanging on to the stuff, that's going to be our downfall. And God can't bless a hand that's clenched. And we're not willing to give something to God. He can't bless us because our hands are clenched. So whatever God's dealing with you with about, whether it's money or whether it's time or whatever it is, give it to God. And you're going to find out you'll have more money if that's what it is. You'll have more time to do the things you want to do. When we give the best to God, God takes care of the rest of our life. I found that to be true through experience. And everybody I've talked to has the same, can have the same testimony. When they actually um, start saying, okay, God, it's yours. It belongs to you. So, <clears throat> and the person with, who treasures in, on earth, just see the importance of stuff. That's all. The, it was it their old, their old uh, saying that the one with the most toys wins? Is that what it is when men grow older? Uh, the only thing that changes is the price of the toys. The reality is they don't win. They lose. Because when we're so focused on stuff, we have no room for God in our life. And that isn't his will for our lives. Uh, Matthew 6, 23b. If the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, lack of vision in our hearts from God, and we can't see anything, we're entrenched in darkness. And we can't see the light. And so there's a greater darkness because... It's a spiritual darkness. Physical darkness is bad, but spiritual darkness is worse. And if you have both of those, if you have physical darkness and spiritual darkness, how great is that darkness? Man, that's, that's the worst thing in the world that can happen to somebody. And people trying to do things, they're trying to get, get things to get out of this darkness. They know what it is because their body doesn't like the darkness, so they're trying to do it through getting, buying things, doing things, trying to occupy their, their time with stuff, trying to get out of this darkness. They don't know what it is, but that's what it is in a sense. They don't have God in their life, and only God is the light. And it doesn't take a big light to change your life. If you're in darkness, a little teeny birthday candle will change your life to get you from point A to point B. So we need to understand that. Now, focus on the treasures of Christ and his kingdom means we view wealth as a resource to be used as his purpose. When we, get, when we finally grasp that we are not owners, we are stewards. When you become a believer, you not only gave Christ all your sin, you gave him your life, you gave him your bank account, you gave him your house, you gave him your car, you gave him your shoes, you gave him everything. You're just a steward of it. God lets you use it. So it isn't a matter of how much do I give, it's how much do I get to keep. And that's, I know that a lot of people say, oh, man, I ain't going to pray that prayer. Well, there's a problem. Then you have a problem. But when you do pray, that is amazing. You get to keep more. I know when J.C. Penney, he started paying his tithes. When he started pennies, he paid his 10%. And then he said, oh, I'm going to start giving more. She started giving 20%. 
and then 30. And then he got up to 90% that he was given to God and living on the 10%. And he was living a millionaire on the 10%. Because every person that's faithful to God, God will bless you. I've told you before that we had a guy come to our church and he got paid $2,000 a head. And this is like 30 years ago or 40, whatever it was, 30, 40 years ago. $2,000 a person to take his class. And he gave it to our church free. And the first thing he taught, said, I tell people, is you give 10%. He said, I don't care whether it's the church, the charities, or where you give it, but you have to give the 10%. Because if you don't start there, nothing will work. And that's what he taught. And this was to secular business people. Of course, 40 years ago, you know, people were more open to that today. Can you imagine somebody telling somebody that now? And say, who do you think you are? Well, the government thinks we should give 50% if we're lucky, <laughs> if that's all they take. You know, I tell people, you know, the 1040 form is, you, send, you keep the 10, you send in the 40. <laughs> that's what it is. So but we, when we have our focus on God, he can... Magnify stuff. He can create money for you. I've had God create money for me. Physically create money for me if I needed it. God can do anything. Don't limit God. If you don't have any money and you're faithful in what God has told you to do, say, hey, God, I need some. My little wallet here has got moths in it, see? They're flying out. I need some. But if you're not faithful to God, you can't, you can't come to God and, and expect that. More faithful to him, he's faithful with us. Now, there's five ways that we can disprove our spiritual eyesight. And first of all, we have to guard our mind against a preoccupation with getting. Next slide. This preoccupation can expose itself in numerous ways, like a constant concern with the stock market, shopping all the latest stores. It can also show up in our conversation. We need to ask ourselves, what do I talk about the most? Is it money and stuff? Preoccupation can also expose itself in our thought lives. We should ask ourselves, is money or acquiring things on our mind when we fall asleep and get up? If it is, you're preoccupied with the wrong things. And it's hard changing your focus, but you can't do it. You have to force yourself to do it because the devil wants your mind over here. He wants you to focus on getting money and getting stuff, a new house, a new car, a new this, a new that. So you will be so focused over here that you won't hear God talking to you. But when we focus over where God wants us to, it's amazing. You know, we can have that new car. God didn't say we can't have stuff. He just says we can't have our life wrapped up in trying to get that stuff. Let God give it to you. Because God can do it. When we say, well, God can't do it. I have to do it myself. God will let you. And you may get it. But there will be no joy in it. Not according to the way that God wants to. Because there's nothing more exciting than having God give you something. That's exciting when somebody gives you money. I had a hard time accepting stuff when God gave it to me. I just kind of feel just uncomfortable. But I, I got over that, just in case you want to know. I'm, I'm over that. So um, the problem with preoccupation with things is it takes our focus off Christ. Whatever takes your focus off Christ, you need to get rid of. Yeah. Or train yourself not to focus on it. God knows we need a place to live. He knows we need a, w a way to get to work. He knows we need food. He knows we need clothing, please, <laughs> and shoes. God knows all that stuff. He wants us to ask for it. He wants us to uh, be so involved with him that we ask for everything. 
The problem is we, well, I can do this, I can myself. God wants to do it for us. 2 Corinthians 4.18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That's amazing. You know, it wasn't until, uh, I don't know how many hundreds of years ago, when they invented the microscope, that they could see things that were unseen. They could see all the bacteria, one of those bugs that got me this last week. You could see that stuff through a microscope. We couldn't see them with our eyes, but it's amazing. But God knew it was already there. He created the things that are unseen, just as much as he created the things that are seen. Except I'm wondering about the spiders and the bugs and the whatever. I don't know, you know, sometimes I wonder, you know, are you sure, sure God, you wanted to do this, you know? <laughs> but second, secondly, to improve our spiritual eyesight, we have to check our attitude. Now, 80 to 90% of everything we do is our attitude. And only 10 to 20% is effort. It's amazing. If we change our attitude towards something, it becomes easier to do. We don't need as much effort. And that's the reality. If you found that to be true in your work, you go there in some jobs you just hate to do. You know? Not every job I've done in my life I've loved. There's been a few that I really enjoyed, and I didn't get to keep them that long. <laughs> but the ones that you really don't care for, if we come to God with it and we change our attitude, he can make it a joy to be there so it doesn't bother. It's not a big deal to you. And then the effort required to do that job is less. So we're not as tired when we get home. When we change our attitude, it's amazing how much more energy we have because that's the way God set things up. Our culture all idolizes money, so we have to guard against loving money because that is hard <laughs> when we do that. A striking employee's sign read, Time heals all wounds, but time and a half heals them faster. <laughs> that's true, doesn't it? <laughs> 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pursed themselves with many great griefs. Now, God doesn't say we can't have money. He says the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money. It's where our focus is. If all our focus is, is on money and getting and getting and getting and getting, we're lost. But God, we need money. Money is a tool. We cannot live in this world without money. We can't have the lights on in this building without money. How many are glad we had heat this morning? You know, it was cold yesterday last night. It was a little chilly. I'm glad that God gave us money to be able to pay our bills. So without money, we cannot function. And God knows that. But God wants us to do things according to his will and purpose. We're a steward. So we sit there, and we have our bank account, and we tell God, you know, this is my light bill. Okay, God knows we have, have things we have to pay. But there's a lot of things that we don't have to pay that we invest in because we don't want to. We want to. Now, what those things are, whether God's pleased to live or not, you have to run them by him. If you run by the, him, it's amazing how better, much better things go, go for you, our lives. Uh, let's see, Tom Eastman said that advertising has two basic messages. You do not yet have all the things you need to be happy, and the things you already have are not good enough. That's the message we see on TV all the time. 
You need this new car, man. If you just had this car, man, you'd just feel so good. Or if you had this new whatever it is. Isn't that what it is? That's the message. They want to make us so dissatisfied that we go out there and we buy that. And the problem is we get it, we're not satisfied. Because it does not make us happy. But if God tells us, you know, go ahead and buy that or whatever, and we're following him, seeking him, and we get to buy that, then we appreciate it more. And it means more to us. If you've never did that, you need to start looking in a different direction. Ecclesiastes 6.9. In the New Living Translation. Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless. It's, just like, it's like chasing the wind. Solomon found that be true. Just dreaming. And there's so many people today that are just daydreaming. All the things they want. That's all they think about, dream about, are the things that they want. But Solomon says it's like chasing the wind. You ever tried to chase the wind? Yeah, I know when you're a kid, you try to go against the wind to fly a kite. But unless God told you to fly a kite, <laughs> you know. But when it's chasing the wind, in other words, it's meaningless. It, has, it leaves us empty. Just getting stuff leaves us empty. Thirdly, to improve our spiritual eyesight, we have to check our spending. That's real easy to do. Just look at your checkbook. Check your checkbook. And you can find out a lot of things about you and how, where you're at in Christ. By looking at your check, checkbook, or if you're not that content with that, give it to me, I'll, I'll help you out. But be prepared to sign something when we get done. <laughs> so money is a tool God wants us to use. But if we're using it for the wrong things, then it's detrimental to us, isn't it? People use it for, for lustful things and things that God didn't, uh, isn't honoring. God has a purpose for, for money, and he uses it for his kingdom. But when we get things all messed up, and become dissatisfied, it means our focus is shifted. If you're not satisfied, and you think, ah, your focus is shifted. You've got to bring it back to where it needs to be. Now, shopping is a great American pastime, isn't it? But shopping, all the malls and that, isn't going to cut it. I know that, uh, how many times do you know people that said, I'm not buying, I'm just looking? They go out there, next thing you know, they come home with a new car. I'm just looking. Well, you end up buying something you can't afford. You can't do that. God wants it, has a plan and a purpose. And if they can just get you looking, then they've got you. Credit cards are a great tool that God has provided, but they should be used for emergencies. And this time of year, Christmas is coming. Resist the, the thing to charge Christmas, especially if you're still paying for last Christmas. We have a, a whole lot of people that do that. Luke 12, 15. And I'm going to, Randy, stand back there by the clock telling me it's, I'm overdone here. Beware, don't be greedy for what you don't have. Real life is not measured by how much we own. We can't be measured by what we have because that stuff is temporary. It's going to be gone one day. So we need to pray for God every time we go to buy something, pray and ask God about it, and we'll, we'll, be, we'll be fine. Fourthly, to improve our spiritual eyesight, we have to always give thanks. Thanksgiving's coming up, but we as believers should be thankful all the time. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You want to know what God's will is for your life? Give thanks. It's a proven fact that thankful people spend less. They're not so much in debt over their heads. They spend less because they're thankful. They're content with what they, what they have. 
And I've told you many times, things that used to be more important to me years ago aren't as important to me. I think we've had our truck longer than we've ever had a vehicle. You know, we want a new car, new car, new car. Because we did, you know, that's what we wanted to do. But now it isn't that important, it's not a big deal. I'm going to keep them until they start having problems, then I'll get rid of them. <laughs> because our, our things change, our focus changes when you get older. And well, older and a Christian, because that, those things changes things. Um, fifthly, to improve our spiritual eyesight, we have to maintain God's priority. We need to guard against making money more important than pursuing God, because that's that's the end in a wrong wrong direction. Nothing should be more important to us than seeking Him and focusing on Him. Uh, what in life is so important that we push God away? What is it in your life? There's more important to you than serving God. What is it? You need to figure it out because there's something that's more important than God. You need to get rid of it or address it. Because if you don't, it'll, it'll drag you right down. It'll be the anchor to hell for you. That's a life. That, that's a reality. Uh, let's see, Matthew 6.33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will give, be given to you as well. Many years ago, a major American company had trouble keeping employees working in their plant in Panama. The laborers lived in a barter economy, but the economy paid the, the company paid them in cash. After a week's work, the average employee would have more cash than he'd ever seen, so were quitting completely satisfied with what they had already made. What was the solution? Company executives gave all their employees a Sears catalog. No one quit then because they all wanted the previously unimaginable things they saw inside the book. It can be our downfall. We've got to have our focus on God. When we have that, everything else falls in line. You can have a nice house. You can have a nice car. You can have all these things. But we have to let God give it to us in his time and let him lead us to those things. Because when we don't, we'll lose our focus. And we lose our focus, we're lost. Everything we have, God has given us. Whether you want to believe it or not, everything you have, God has given you, whether you're serving God or not. Be thankful for it. Thankful people spend less. Thankful people don't need as much stuff. It isn't as important to them. Get there. Don't you want to be there? Let's pray. Our